The Old Testament reading for today is Genesis 2, 18-25. The sermon text is Ephesians 5, 22-24. Let's go now to the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis 2, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my flesh, and excuse me, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let us go now to the New Testament reading and to our sermon text for today, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. Here the Apostle says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, And is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May the Lord bless the preaching of it this morning. As we come now into this section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Where he addresses relationships that exist within the home. And distinguishes between those who have been given authority and those who are to submit to authority. It is very important that we not forget the general command that was issued in 521 regarding mutual submission. Remember that there in 521 Paul commanded all who are in Christ to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This submission of verse 21 is called Mutual submission, because it is to be offered by everyone and to everyone within the church of Christ without distinction or qualification. So there is a sense in which all Christians, officers and members, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul addresses this same principle elsewhere. elsewhere. All Christians are to be of the same mind, he says in Philippians. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, they are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than themselves. They are to look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. They must have this mind among themselves, which is theirs in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even 
death on a cross. That is Philippians 2, 2 through 8. And so this is to be the disposition of every Christian, no matter their station in life. They are to be like their Savior, who, although he would possess all authority in heaven and on earth, he dressed himself in the garb of a servant and even washed his disciples' feet. And this he did to give his apostles an example of how to wield the authority that they would soon possess. We can see John 13, verses 15 and following, uh, to, to encounter this story. When Jesus washed the feet of his apostles, it was to illustrate what he had taught them on another occasion, saying, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And that their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I have returned to this principle of mutual submission. It was introduced in Ephesians 5. 21 before moving on to consider Paul's commands to particular submission in 522 and following so that we might ever keep in mind the spirit of Christian authority. Those with authority in Christ are to serve. Those with authority, I'm thinking here of elders and deacons, husbands, parents, managers within the civil realm, all of these are to lead doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counting others more significant than themselves. They are to look out not only for their own interests, but also to the interests of others. For this was the way of Christ. This was how He lived. I just thought of this. I didn't make the connection when preparing the sermon, but there's a very wonderful connection between the catechism question that we are studying this week and the sermon text that is... Before us today, Christ accomplished our redemption by first becoming a servant, by humbling Himself, by submitting to God, and by serving us even to the point of death on the cross. We are to have the same attitude. We are especially to have this attitude as we fulfill God's calling upon our lives and exercise the authority that He has given us, whatever that authority may be. While it is true that the principle of mutual submission cannot be forgotten, neither can we ignore Paul's command regarding particular submission. It cannot be denied that in Ephesians 5.22 all the way through 6.9, Paul does teach that wives, children, and bondservants are to offer a particular kind of submission to those who have authority over them. Wives are called to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. Children are to obey their parents and the Lord, for this is right, Ephesians 6.1. Bondservants are to obey their earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as they would Christ. That is Ephesians 6.5. So the principle of mutual submission, as you probably know, is very popular in our culture today. The teaching that all are to submit to one another universally without distinction or qualification is rather unoffensive to us at least, to our modern minds. But as you know, some within our culture will respond with great disdain to the idea that some have authority over others in this world and that honor is to be given to those who have authority. While the 
notion of mutual submission is unoffensive to us. Uh, The notion of particular submission uh, is very offensive uh, to those who live within our society today. Now, I do understand that the reasons for resistance to authority are complex. In some cases, authority is resisted because those with authority have been abusive. But nevertheless, it is important for us to see That God has called us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and for some to offer up a particular kind of submission to those whom the Lord has placed over them for the good of the church, for the good of the family, for the good of society at large. As I have just said, the portion of Ephesians that we are about to consider is controversial. It is offensive. And we should not be surprised that some have attempted to explain it away, therefore. One of the common approaches to the dismissal of Paul's commands to to wives to submit to their husbands is to claim that Paul was addressing uh, husbands and wives according to the cultural norms of his day. Perhaps you've heard this view. But that times have changed. Uh, We have made progress, the progressives say, and we are no longer bound to follow these old and outdated customs where wives are called to offer up submission uh, to their husbands. But I want for you to consider three things in response to the progressive view of Ephesians 5.22 and following. One, Paul's command for wives to submit to their husbands is not rooted in culture, but it is rooted in creation and in Christ. Later in verse 31, of Ephesians 5, we will hear Paul support his instructions for husbands by quoting from Genesis 2.24, which says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And here in Paul's instructions for wives, he compares the relationship between husbands and wives to Christ's relationship to the church. As we will see, The marriage bond was designed to function as a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. And we'll discuss this in more detail later. But for now, I want for you to see that Paul's instructions for both husbands and wives, it's rooted not in culture, not in the trends of the day, but in creation itself and in Christ, in his relationship to the church. In other words, this is how things are to be. Not because it is the trend, but because this is the way that God has designed it to be. Husbands are to lovingly lead, we will hear. And wives are to submit to their husbands in the Lord. Two, notice that children are also commanded in this passage to obey their parents. Paul says, for this is right. I wonder if the progressive will be consistent in their interpretation and say that Paul's commands for a child to obey their parents was also rooted in the cultural norms of the day. Think of it. If we are going to dismiss what Paul says to wives concerning submission to their husbands, can we not then also dismiss what Paul says to children regarding submission or obedience to their parents? reasoning in the same way. Well, that's how things used to be. But we have progressed beyond that. We have evolved, and our culture being more advanced no longer needs to be bound by uh, these 
standards. And yes, I do understand that some are this radical. They believe that we are to progress beyond the so-called traditional family model, even saying that children should no longer be so oppressed by their parents. But I would assume that most progressives would argue that the apostle, uh, when he says that it is right for a child to obey their parents, um, is still right. Uh, That this is still the right thing for a child to do. Uh, They would I think most of them say that this is still right because this is the way that God designed us to to function in this world. Children are to be brought up in families. They are to offer obedience to their parents. This is good for the child. This is good for the family. This is good for society. Most would would be of that opinion. But, But here I am simply drawing your attention to the inconsistency of the progressive. They're willing to disregard what Paul says to husbands and wives as being outdated and old-fashioned, but they will still hold on to what Paul says concerning the relationship between parent and child. At least most of them will. Three, all of this teaching concerning submission to authority is summarized in the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I want for you to pay careful attention to this commandment, which is a part of the summary of God's moral law. This commandment for children to honor their father and their mother, it's about more than just children obeying their parents. This is about all people learning to submit to all kinds of authority, whatever, whatever kind of authority it may be. I do love the teaching that our catechism provides on this commandment. I think it helps us to see this, this commandment is not just about little children obeying mom and dad. It, it is about that. But it is about submission to authority in general. Listen to Baptist Catechism, question 69. What is required in the fifth commandment? The answer, the fifth commandment requires the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. That is the moral principle that is embedded within that fifth commandment. It, it's, that fifth commandment is communicating that this is how the world has been created. People have authority within the world. Submission is to be offered up to that. That authority is to be honored. And there are different kinds of authority. Parents over children, husbands over wives, governors over those whom they govern. This idea, friends, is that there are superiors, inferiors, and equals as it pertains to authority and submission within the church, the family, and society. And I'm sure that you can see it plainly. This idea is being viciously assaulted today. And here, I think, is an instance where the Church of Christ is able to be countercultural. We ought to show the world that it is possible, in fact, to exercise authority, but to do it as a servant and in love, as Christ did. And we ought to show the world that it is right and good to, with some rare exceptions, submit to authority wherever it exists, though it be wielded by imperfect men. And in so doing, we demonstrate our trust in and submission to God who is sovereign over all. Not all progress is good, friends. I want for you to learn this lesson. 
Not all progress is good. Progress is only true progress when it leads to greater obedience to God and the glory of His name. And so let us be wise and discerning as we live in this world. May we have the courage to resist the current trends if they are in fact contrary to God's moral law. Paul does not address authority in the church here in this passage. Neither does he address political authority. He does that elsewhere. Instead, he addresses the authority and submission within the home. These are the three spheres in which we live our lives. We live our lives within the sphere of the church. We live our lives within the sphere of the home. We live our lives within the the sphere of society in general. These three spheres, they're all interrelated, but they are to be distinguished also. The Christian must learn to walk worthily and according to wisdom in all three of these spheres. And as I have said here in Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9, the apostle turns his attention to the home and he begins with the most important relationship within the home, the relationship between husband and wife. It is not uncommon for married couples to allow their marriage relationship to take second place to the children when they become parents. But I fear that this is a terrible mistake. The relationship between husband and wife is the most vital relationship within the Christian family. The children will soon grow to adulthood and leave the home to establish their own. This is how God designed things to work. Husbands and wives will be left alone again. Their relationship had better be strong, therefore, and the children will be truly blessed to grow up under the guidance and protection of a loving marriage bond. And so I think for this reason, Paul addresses husbands and wives first. Notice that the apostle devotes three times as much space to his instructions for husbands which is what we will consider in the next passage. Nine verses are devoted to them in 5.25-33, through whereas only three verses are devoted to the wives. I suppose we can debate as to why this is. You all might have your opinions. But one reason might be that the apostle, what he had to say to husbands, would have been far more controversial in his day than what he has to say to wives. It's backwards today, isn't it? Um, What Paul says uh, to to wives, I think, would would probably be the most controversial of the two statements here. Uh, But here we notice that he devotes nine verses to the men and three uh, to the women. Uh, Truly, what Paul had to say to the husbands would have been quite controversial in his day. And wives, uh, lest you think that I have uh, decided to devote an entire sermon to what uh, Paul says to the wives, because I am trying to pick on you in some way, uh, truth be told, there's so much that is said to the husbands, I think we need to devote an entire sermon to that. And so I have divided this text into two parts, though it certainly could have been preached all at once. He starts with the wives, though. And again, Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.22 And Paul's instructions for Christian wives will be our focus for the remainder of this sermon today. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord, Paul says. He says something similar in Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And the Apostle Peter says it this way, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful 
and pure conduct, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. And lastly, in Ephesians 5, 33, Paul will conclude his exhortation to wives and husbands by saying this, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the teaching of Scripture on this point is uniform, it is very clear. Wives are called by God to submit to their husbands within the home. As I have said, this teaching would have been very much uncontroversial in the first century, but it is very controversial in our day. Before moving on, I think we should take just a moment to notice what Paul does not say. Notice that Paul does not say that women are to submit to men in general, but rather that wives are to submit to their own husbands. I think this is a significant observation. Nowhere do the Scriptures teach that women are to submit to men generally and in every sphere. Rather, they teach that men are to serve as officers within Christ's church, reflecting male headship within the home, and that wives are to submit to their own husbands. Two, Paul does not command wives to obey their husbands, as he will with children in relation to parents in 6.1, and bondservants in relation to masters in 6.5. So all three of these relationships involve submission, but the language that Paul uses is different. He does not say, wives, obey your husbands, but rather, wives, submit to your husbands. And this is certainly more fitting for the relationship that exists between husband and wife, for they are companions. This is what the wife is called in Malachi 2.14. She is called a companion and wife by covenant. And for this reason, she is not called to dutifully obey, but she is rather called to willingly submit to her husband's headship. So what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? It means that she is to recognize the God-given authority of her husband. It means that she is to honor it. It means that she is to be willing to follow his lead within the home. Now, I'm afraid that many misconceptions abound regarding the submission of the wife. Uh, Some, I'm sure, picture an authoritarian husband and a wife who obeys him dutifully, mindlessly, and begrudgingly. I'm sure that many, when they read Ephesians 5.22 and following, that is what comes to mind, especially if they are not in Christ. Maybe even some who are in Christ uh, respond with that uh, that sort of impulse to the text of Scripture here. But this is not what the Scriptures call us to in marriage. Some imagine that male headship and female submission must translate to particular duties within the home. Um, I think many of these preconceptions are cultural. While it is true that the wife is called to in Titus 2.5 to be diligent in her management of the home, she is not forbidden from also working outside the home, nor is the husband forbidding, being forbidden from doing the dishes and mopping the floor I think headship and submission is going to look different, practically speaking, from household to household. There are so many different personality types. There are different skill sets. There are different circumstances. Husbands and wives will need to sort all of that out to know how best to go about doing life together, practically speaking. But this one thing cannot change within the Christian home. The husband must lovingly lead 
And the wife must see to it that she submits to her husband, showing respect to him, for this is right and this is good and this is fitting. Now we know that questions will undoubtedly arise from this teaching note. What is a wife to do if her husband comes short of what Ephesians 5, 22-33 calls him to, namely loving, self-sacrificial, and Christ-like leadership? What is, what is a wife to do in a situation like that? I mean, certainly submission would be much, much easier if the husband was doing his part. I would imagine that wives would happily submit to their husbands if their husbands would only lead as Christ has called them to. But what is a wife to do if her husband falls short of this? Well, I know that Peter addresses this in general in that text that I have already read. I'll read it again, though. Peter says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So there Peter addresses that question head on. If the husband is falling short of what Christ has called him to, uh, the wife is not to fall short herself, but is rather to rise to the occasion. She is to subject herself to him nonetheless. She is to offer up respectful and pure conduct. And here Peter is saying, in essence, uh, to to paraphrase, who knows, the Lord may use that to, to win the husband, either to Christ or to a walk that is more worthy in Christ Jesus. Of course, a wife is to do other things as well. She is to pray for her husband. If he is a believer, she may certainly speak to him about observing Christ and obeying Christ, rather, in the marriage relationship. They together might even choose to seek help from within the church. But one thing a wife must not do is respond to her husband who is falling short by falling short herself. A Christian wife is to honor her husband even if he is acting dishonorably. She is to show him grace. Her conduct must always remain respectful and pure. And again, it may be that the Lord will use this to win the husband, either to faith in Christ or to a more worthy walk. Stated differently, Christian wives are to do what Paul commanded all Christians to do back in 425 and following, where Paul said, Having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." Brothers and sisters, if you're having trouble in your marriage relationship, I would strongly encourage you to not only go to those passages of Scripture that deal explicitly with marriage. Here, Ephesians 5.22, on, on um, into the following verses through verse 33, it deals explicitly with the relationship between husband and wife. There the roles of husband and wife are laid out before us. It's a wonderful passage to go to for help if you're struggling in the marriage relationship or to prepare for marriage. Certainly go to it. 
But do not forget to go to the whole of Scripture to know how to be a good husband and how to be a good wife. Go to what Paul said earlier in Ephesians where he says nothing about marriage in particular, but he is speaking to Christians in general. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. He doesn't mention marriage here, but the Christian husband and the Christian wife had better do this to one another. And certainly the marriage will flourish if they do. And the marriage will struggle if they do not. Another question might be, is there a limit to the wife's submission? In other words, is there ever a time where she might go against her husband's wishes? And the answer is yes. A wife is to disobey her husband if the husband is leading her to disobey Christ. Elsewhere, Paul says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That is 1 Corinthians 11.3. So the authority that a husband possesses is not absolute authority. It's far from it. The husband is under God's authority, and he is under Christ's authority. And if the husband is leading the wife to disobey God and Christ, then the wife must say to him what Peter said to the high priest who forbid him from preaching Christ, we must obey God rather than men. The husband's authority is not absolute, and so there may be instances where the wife ought to disobey her husband or to go against his wishes. And is there ever a time when a wife is permitted to divorce her husband? In brief, the answer is yes, in the case of infidelity or abandonment. But these things, they must be handled with great care, lest we fall into great sin and make matters worse by our impatience and our unwillingness to bear up under times of difficulty for the glory of God and for our good. I think a wife would be foolish to enter into such a decision on her own and apart from the counsel of her pastors and others who are godly and wise. In general, the command is this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The text is clear. That last phrase in verse 22, as to the Lord is very significant, for it introduces the motive for the wife's submission. What is to motivate the wife's submission? This little phrase, as to the Lord, tells us. And pay careful attention to this. When a wife submits to her husband, she really submits to Christ. That is what this little phrase, as to the Lord, means. When the wife submits to her husband, she really submits to Christ. Why is the Christian wife to honor, respect, and submit to her husband? She is to do so because the Lord has commanded it. She is to do so out of reverence for Christ. She is to do so out of ultimate submission to Christ. Now, there may be other things motivating her as well. Her sincere love for her husband might also motivate her to submit. I hope so. Her desire to have a blessed marriage might motivate her. The wife may also be concerned to see her children blessed as they observe her respectful and pure conduct. All of this might be true. These are motivations for a wife to submit to her husband, to respect him according to the scriptures. But supremely, her submission to her husband should be driven by her love for and submission to Christ. She is submit to her husband as to the Lord. Notice this, wives. The motivation for your submission is not found in your husband, but in Christ. The world says this. 
I will honor him provided that he is honorable. This is the way that the world functions. I will honor him provided that he is honorable. The world says, I will show him love and respect so long as he loves and respects me. And if he dishonors me, then I will dishonor him back. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is the way of the world. But our marriages are not to function as a picture of God's law, which says, do this and you shall live. But our marriage relationships are to function as a picture of the gospel and of the grace of God that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus. Wives, submit to your husbands, honor and respect them, not because they are deserving, but out of reverence for Christ, the scriptures say. The same sort of thing will be said to husbands next week as we consider that passage that is directed at them. They are to lovingly lead their wives no matter what. It's not to be dependent upon their performance. They are to not love them so long as they are lovely, but they are to love them as Christ loved the church, despite despite their flaws and imperfections. Again, our marriage relationships are to put on display the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. They are not to put on display the law which says, do this and you shall live. If you will do this for me, then I will do this for you, says the law. But the gospel says, look at what God has done for you freely in Christ Jesus. That is the picture that is to be put on display in the marriage bond. I think this truth will certainly help wives who are struggling in a difficult marriage where their husbands do not obey Christ. But this truth should also be an encouragement to wives whose husbands are in the Lord. Wives recognize this. Even the best of Christian husbands will fall short of God's calling to love their wives as Christ has loved the church from time to time. And wives, when they fall short, honor them, submit to them, show them grace in Christ Jesus. And if your husbands are truly regenerate, your respectful and pure conduct will be used by the Lord to soften their hearts and to draw them back to a walk that is worthy. Pray for them. Ask the Lord to have mercy to do this work within their hearts. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, Paul says. So we have heard the exhortation. We have considered the motive. And in verse 23, we encounter the rationale or the reason for the wife's submission. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior, the apostle says. So here is the rationale. Here is why Paul is commanding Christian wives in this way. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now this verse is brief, but it is filled with meaning. First, the declaration, the husband is the head of the wife. In the context, the metaphor of head must mean the husband is the one who has authority over the wife, the one who is responsible for her and the family, and the one who must lead. Again, we will turn our attention to husbands in the next section. And when we do, we will see that husbands are exhorted to lovingly fulfill their calling as head of their household. But for now, simply notice that Paul states it as a matter of fact, the husband is the head of the wife. And why does Paul state things so dogmatically? Doesn't he know that sometimes the wives are more gifted leaders than the husbands? Doesn't he know that? Shouldn't he consider the differences in personality and temperament before assigning the role of head 
to men only. Are you tracking along with me as I ask the questions that are often asked of this text that that come up, especially within our culture? I mean, after all, sometimes isn't the wife more passive and the husband more, excuse me, the husband more passive and, and the wife more forward than the husband is? And in that case, shouldn't it, wouldn't it be more efficient? Here I am stammering through the rationale of the world because I don't believe it, right? Wouldn't it be more efficient then for the wife to be head and for the husband to submit? But Paul does not consider these things. He just dogmatically states as a matter of fact, for the husband is the head of the wife. Why does he say this? Why does he have this view? Well, Paul's view, and this should be our view, is that God created men and women to function this way. Adam was made first, then Eve was taken from his side. She was made to correspond to him and to help him. And he was made to lovingly lead her as her head. And this was in fact Paul's belief, and this becomes clear in what we see next. After the declaration, the husband is the head of the wife, he provides an analogy saying, Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So as it pertains to headship and authority, the husband is to the wife what Christ is to the church. These are deep waters here, actually. It's such a simple statement. But don't pass these words over quickly. You reflect upon this. The husband is to the wife what Christ is to the church. Now, this analogy can be pushed too far, of course. The husband is unlike Christ in many ways. The husband is not the savior of the wife. The husband does not possess the same kind of authority that Christ possesses, namely ultimate authority. But despite the obvious differences, the analogy is fitting in The marriage covenant, the husband is to the wife what Christ is to the church in the covenant of grace. So something profound is being established here by Paul. A picture is beginning to emerge. We are beginning to see that marriage is not only for the happiness of those who are wed. It's not only good for the family and society, but there is something about the marriage relationship that corresponds to Christ's relationship to the church. The marriage covenant was designed in a particular way. It was designed to image Christ's covenantal relationship with His people. This picture is beginning to appear in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul will elaborate upon this more in that section where he speaks to husbands. But he will eventually say these words, This mystery is profound, And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That is Ephesians 5.32. We will deal with that verse when we come to it in due time. But what Paul is saying here is that there is something mysterious about the marriage relationship. It was, in fact, designed to function as an analogy between Christ's covenantal union with the church. So, what the husband is to the wife... Christ is to the church. This analogy is not one that Paul invented, as we often do with analogies, you know. But it is one that was designed by God in the beginning. This analogy was intentional. This analogy was embedded into the marriage relationship so that in marriage, 
always and forever, God's love for His people might be put on display in Christ's love for His church. This is how marriage is to function. And this is why Paul says so dogmatically that the husband is the head of the wife. And I sincerely believe that this is the most important thing for you to grasp about marriage. The marriage covenant is not only for the good of the couple who is wed, it is not only good for the family and society. It's not primarily about your happiness. It is designed to put the love of Christ for the church and the submission of the church to Christ on full display for the world to see. So brothers and sisters, we must be mindful of this in Christ Jesus. Husbands, if you are failing to lovingly lead your wife, you are not only harming your wife and your household, you are missing out on an opportunity to put Christ's love for the church on display before your household, and before the world. And wives, if you are failing to, love, failing to lovingly submit to your husbands, you are not only harming your husband and your household, but you are missing out on, a, on an opportunity to put the church's reciprocal love for Christ on display before your household and before the world. Even worse, we may even be doing damage to the reputation of Christ by failing to submit and to lead, as Christ has called us to in the marriage bond. Why are wives to submit to their husbands? What is the rationale? They are to do so because the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Lastly, the Apostle delivers one last concluding exhortation, while also describing the extent of the wife's submission. Verse 24, Now, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What should the wife's submission to her husband look like? What should it entail? Well, here Paul is saying that the wife may look to the church's relationship to Christ as an analogy. Once again, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I think this is instructive. It continues to develop the analogy that was begun in verse 23. There the husband is compared to Christ in regard to headship, and here the wife is compared to the church in regard to submission. And what is the manner or extent of the wife's submission to her husband? Well, just as the church submits to Christ in all things, so too the wife is to submit to her her, her husband in all things. Brothers and sisters, this is a very high calling, isn't it? Christian wives are here in this passage called by the Lord to lay down their lives for the good of their husbands. Wives are called to, to put it in Paul's words from Philippians once again, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count their husbands more significant than themselves. They are to look not, out, not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of their husbands. They are called to have this mind in them, which is theirs in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why am I reading again from Philippians 2, 2-8? It's in order to detach this issue from the marriage relationship specifically and to simply say this, look at, for husbands and wives who are in Christ, we are simply called to, to be Christian towards one another. That is what this is. This is Paul saying to husbands and wives, act like a Christian towards one another. Humble yourselves. 
be all about serving the other and not about yourself, you see. Be like Christ in this regard. Now, of course, husbands and wives are to do this differently in the marriage bond. There is a particular kind of authority and submission that, that is established here in, in Ephesians 5. And, and we're beginning to consider that. But the heart of the matter is this. Be like Christ. Humbly submit to one another. Be more about each other than you're about yourselves, you see. And so I ask wives, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you choose to honor your husband always and in everything as the scriptures call you to do? Will you let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice? Will you determine to be kind to your husband, tender-hearted, forgiving him as God and Christ forgave you? Will you do it for him? Will you do it for the sake of the children? Will you do it for the good of your own soul? And above all, will you do it for the sake of Christ so that God would get the glory? As you could probably tell, a very similar sermon is in the works for Christian husbands. Though the roles of husbands and wives do differ, the husband is called to lovingly lead and the wife to submit to him, they share this in common. The Christian husband must also lay down his life for the good of his wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This will be the exhortation that is brought to you next week. But may the Lord help us in these things. May the love of God for us in Christ Jesus be put on display as we lay down our lives for one another, as we love one another and forgive one another. May we learn to be gracious and kind, just as God has been gracious and kind to us. And in all things, may God get the glory. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Help us in our marriages. Help us to put into practice this mutual submission that you have called us to. And help us to fulfill our particular roles as husbands and as wives in Christ Jesus. We confess to you, Lord, that this is difficult for us. Our flesh gets in the way constantly, our pride wells up within us. We struggle with all kinds of things, Lord. But we are asking that you would help us to walk worthily in Christ. Help us to put off the old man and to put on the new. Help us to honor you in this regard. And I pray for those who are not married, that they too would learn how to honor whatever authority is over them. Pray for children, that they would learn to honor their parents. Lord, help us as the church to be countercultural in this regard. To show the world that while we are to submit to one another mutually, we are also able to lovingly lead and lovingly submit to one another. How the world needs this. Above all else, the world needs Christ. And so we do pray that the gospel would be put on display before the world, in and through our families. Father, help wives in particular, I pray, on this Lord's Day uh, to submit to their husbands, to respect them, to honor them always. And I pray especially for those wives whose husbands are falling short of this uh, command that you have given to them. Lord, help them, the wives, to respond to that um, honorably with a pure and respectful conduct. Lord, I pray for them especially that 
you would strengthen them in this, that they would, in fact, submit to their husbands as to the Lord. But Lord, do strengthen them so that they might fulfill this task that you have given to them to the glory of your name. We, all, we pray these things in the name of Christ and all of God's people say.